What's going on, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Raptors Community Podcast. I am Anthony, owner and president of Raptors Community, and today we're going to be talking about the good things that happened for Toronto this season. And this is part of a two-part series where the second part we're going to basically look at it from a pessimistic perspective and think, hey, what went wrong here for Toronto and what can they really you know, take away from it? moving into the offseason, and essentially, what are they going to do to improve this for next season? Whereas this, we're going to look at some of the positive outlooks on what Toronto did this season, some of the impressive things, Uh, and a lot of it comes with perspective, right? So at the beginning of the season, when you tell them the entirety of what happened, you'd be very positive with the outlook. But once you got to the end of the playoffs, or once you got to the end of the regular season, I should say, you're more inclined to say, hey, this is pessimistic and like have a negative approach or connotation to what happened at the end of the year, going down 3-0, kind of getting destroyed by Embiid and shooters in the corner, like Danny Green, the boy. So basically, we're going to talk about the good first, and we're just going to dive right in. Okay, we're not going to waste too much time, and we're going to start with five points. Uh, and that's what the entire podcast is going to be, essentially about five different um, positive outlooks and takeaways. And we're going to start with Nick Nurse. Because he continually showcased his versatility as a coach through injuries and always makes us believe in this team's potential as a contender, right? He continues to have, uh, be a solid backbone for Toronto and for this squad. And he's so important moving forward in terms of, um, you know, not having the best roster or any issues that Toronto comes into. It's important to have him there at the forefront to always make the best decisions for this team and to help them basically achieve as many wins as possible and basically try and make them contend almost every year. Um, And it's always impressive how he's been able to overachieve every season. And this year was an exemplary version of it with Toronto's expected wins at around 36. And they finished, you know, much higher than that. I think over 10 wins uh, more than that. So it was a really impressive season for Nick Nurse from that perspective. On the negative approach, we'll talk about you know another outlook for how Nick Nurse's season went. But in my opinion, you know there's a lot of good takeaways from what he was able to do and accomplish with this team despite Pascal Siakam missing the beginning of the year, Fred Van Vliet being in and out with some knee injuries, hip injuries, and some other um, knick-knack injuries. OG being out, Gary Trent missing some games, and Scotty Barnes too. So Toronto overall did have some adversity that they overcame throughout the year to still finish a top five seed in the Eastern Conference, which is pretty damn impressive if you ask me. Another big takeaway, and this is probably my favorite one, Scotty Barnes, top 10 player in the NBA, potential. And I think that we really didn't expect this, right? Even when Toronto drafted him, I know that I didn't know a lot about the draft. I didn't know, you know, whether or not Suggs was the right pick. I honestly didn't even really know who Scotty Barnes was. And now looking back, you're thinking, wow, what a genius decision by Masai Ujiri. And now look at where, you know, Toronto's future looks and where the beholds for them. Because now you've got a player who has legitimate top 10 potential in the NBA. Like, you can't even deny that he could be a top 10 player if he continues to work on his half-court offense, if he continues to develop and become the number one option. If he's given the ball in his hands, there's definitely that potential. He won Rookie of the Year. He averaged 15 points, <clears throat> 7 rebounds, and 3.5 and assists on a Toronto team with a lot of players who wanted to eat at the end of the day, right? A lot of guys wanted to get their looks. You got OG, Trent, Siakam, and Fred Van Vliet, all these guys who've been there the year prior, feel like they deserved more opportunity. 
And technically, Scotty Burns was the fifth guy behind that, and he had to sit at the bottom of that totem pole. Um, but really elevated his game throughout the year to make all those players better and really just um, basically carve his way into the being one of the best players on Toronto's team. And arguably, you could say he was you know, the third or fourth best player for Toronto continually throughout the season, especially late in the season, where we saw him kind of evolve as a point guard when Fred VanVleet was out, given the ball in his hands. Point Scotty really did showcase a lot of potential for this team. And I think that that, in addition to the great vibes that he gives off as a personality in the NBA, is just really the perfect combination to deducing him as the ultimate teammate for Toronto and for these guys. And like I said, he's shown some flashes of being a top 10 player in the NBA. And ultimately, I think that in a couple years, he's going to be the right player to lead this team to a title as the number one option. He's obviously the missing piece for this team, but he's going to have to develop some parts of his game. And, you know, you can take away some negative stuff from this. By the end of the day, you know, if, if Scotty improves his half-court um, ability to produce, and this will come up in the negative section, the half-court offense, then, you know, Toronto's going to be in a great situation to eventually compete for a title with him as the number one guy. Speaking of number one guys, the third point here is the resurgence of Pascal Siakam. That's right. Spicy P, under a lot of criticism the last few years because of his inability to produce as the number one option in the half court, you know, a bit of a shaky handle at times, uncostly turnovers. And then last year, we saw a lot of clutch plays, excuse me, clutch plays where we saw shots go in and out. We see him miss open layups. And honestly, all this stuff kind of accumulated to this ideology that Pascal was no longer, you know, as good a player as he was in, you know, 2019, 2020. But I think that this year he really showcased um, his versatility. And a big reason why is because of Scotty Barnes and these other players being available, right? Because Pascal is a number one guy with no help. Um, it's easy for defenses to stack against him, and he didn't really have the acumen to make the right decisions at the time, and that's why he had such a poor season last year. However, I think that this year he showcased the ability with solid players around him to really resurge and be a really, really good pivotal piece to a contending-type team. And this really you know, was showcased through 23 points per game this year, 8.5 rebounds, over 5 assists, all of these were um, career highs, and he had very similar numbers in the playoffs too. I think less rebounds and more assists. So he really was showcasing that at the point of attack, he's able to make the right decision, right? The five assists is the part that really impresses me, you know, from going from, you know, a three, three and a half assist guy to over five assists, and probably is going to elevate that even more next season, is something that's really impressive to me and takes a lot of growth as a player in terms of basketball IQ, um, knowing when players where players are going to be, seeing doubles come, because he would get doubles a lot in the paint. And, you know, when they double, you know, like Boston did um, last year in the playoffs or two years ago in the playoffs, they were able to basically take the ball from him almost every time uh, and really just took him out of his element, whereas this year felt like he was a lot more fluid. In the paint, he felt like he had a much better floater. I feel like late in the year, every time he shot a floater, it felt like it was going in. He just had great touch around the rim, made great decisions for the team, and honestly elevated his value as a player um, because of his court vision and because of how great he was and really did justify that $35 million contract, you know, signed through two more years after this season. And for Toronto, essentially now they have a big decision, and I'm not going to talk about this much because I'm going to talk about it in depth uh, at a later podcast, but 
I feel like now they've got a big decision, you know, with Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes, two players who kind of step on each other's toes, where we could see Scotty become an elevated version of Siakam. Uh, one at one point, you know, very similar style players, similar size. I feel like Scotty's obviously a different guy, no question about it. But no, there's no doubt that they do kind of interfere with each other. So I think for Toronto, they've got a big decision moving forward in terms of do they trade Pascal to give Scotty more opportunity, or do they kind of nurse Scotty into that Pascal role eventually and then oversee him and he overtakes that position two or three years down the line. Fourth point, I think this is a really good one. Um, the young core is going to be amazing. OG, Trent Jr., and Barnes <clears throat> are going to be the future of this Toronto Raptors team. Those three are the nucleus that have showcased the ability to not only hit shots in the half court, run in transition, but also play defense too. Right? They bring that two-way ability that's going to be so imperative in the playoffs. Um, all three of these guys are probably three of their best defenders. OG and Trent are probably their two best, with Scotty being there. Also with the versatility, the size. And I feel like you know they've shown that they can be that big three in Toronto that can bring a title. And obviously it's going to take some time for them to develop, and they're going to need to build the right cast around them, but they have that nucleus now set. right? Those three are perfect, and now it's like filling out the edges. You know, Do you keep Precious? I think you should. I really like him as a player. Malachi Flynn, I also think he's a good person to maybe transition into that point guard role You know, with the injuries to Fred Van Vliet and the higher contract number. You can sign Malachi to a longer-term, cheaper deal. He could be a guy that can kind of fill and approximate what Freddie does, but giving those guys more opportunity um, to score. And honestly, I think as a microwave scorer, Malachi Flynn could be the type of player we want to see on this team long-term, especially if you need some offensive production. He can actually bring that to the table. Uh, we've seen him just explode for, you know, three, four threes in like a quarter. He's kind of has that ability. Um, but yeah, overall, this young core is going to be really important to develop around. So I'm interested to see how Masai Ujiri decides to kind of take this. You know, you've got a lot of decisions to make with players that are free agents this year, Boucher, Thad Young, but then also, you know, the young guys, Malachi Flynn and Precious. And then you've also got these vets that, you know, kind of need theirs and might be on the trading block and, and Pascal and Freddie. So there's a lot of different decisions to be made. I don't know what the best is to do. I'm going to kind of lay that out in a future episode, like I said. But speaking of Masai Ujiri, this is my fifth and final point, is that Masai Ujiri having another very, very successful year for him and Bobby Webster in the front office. And for Toronto, one of the big successes was early uh, in the offseason, you know, trading for Precious and Dragic. We know how Dragic didn't really work out, but, you know, getting Precious at Chua was huge for Toronto. Now they have another young piece um, who has shown some serious upside at just 22 years old. Um, <laughs> Goran Dragic, though, for Thad Young was a good move. I think Dragic in and of itself wasn't, but, you know, trading him for Thaddeus Young, having to attach that first-round pick for someone to, you know, want to essentially void that contract of Dragic's was the tough part to swallow for Toronto fans and was a bit confusing, but we saw what Thad Young was able to bring as a veteran off the bench for Toronto. He brought some consistency. He hit big shots. Uh, he dropped Embiid uh, in, what game was that, game four? Uh, so he's really brought a lot of different uh, pieces to the table, and I hope Toronto can continue to sign him uh, longer term because he was a vet, like I said, that really showcased a great ability um, for Toronto as a defender and as a scorer and just as like a solid veteran presence who's poised and with this young team is going to be an important 
type of piece to have around them. Doesn't necessarily have to be him, but you know, similar players to him will be important for this team moving forward. And I would love to see Toronto bring him back next year, especially if they're going to have to fill the void of Chris Boucher, which we're going to talk about in a future episode, uh, because he is also on the free agency block, so we don't really know where he's going to end up. Um, but that's a bit of a teaser into our second episode, which we're going to drop tomorrow, where I'm going to talk about you know the bad and pessimistic side to this, which you know a lot of you know Raptor fans love being pessimistic, but I think it's important to have this outlook initially and think, hey, you know. Let's look at the season as a whole and think, hey, this is a great season for Toronto, and these are some of the reasons why. There's obviously more that I could have covered in this, but trying to keep it short and sweet here. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, I'm going to catch you on the next episode tomorrow. Peace out, everybody.